Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. We have been talking about relationships and how this is, in fact, the most important thing to God. And if you look through the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, you realize, oh, okay, God takes this really seriously. It's actually the thing that he says, this counts most. And there's words that says, this is most important. And so it's something we want to get. And it's something where where I'm hopefully giving you some tools that you can grab a hold of to make happen. I I was talking to um, a gentleman who is probably one of the foremost addiction counselors in in Manitoba, in this area. And he said something that was kind of shocking to me. He says, you know, I've helped a lot of people work through their addictions. And this is how you can do it. It says, if you have five good relationships, healthy relationships, it'll take care of 100% of the addictions. I thought, oh, okay, is that like hyperbole or, you know, like happy thing, think happy thoughts? He says, no, no. He says, you know, if you're a man and you have a healthy relationship with God, a healthy relationship with your wife, and a healthy relationship with three men, I guarantee you your addictions are going to be taken care of. I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? Relationships are important to God. And there's a reason for that. Because he designed us to live our life. Now, you can buy that or not. I'm you know, kind of okay either way. But God designed us to be together with each other and not just sort of passing by each other together. Really get connected in and learn how to do this. And so today, we're going to jump into something that's fraught with all sorts of really interesting stuff. And we're going to talk about conflict. And we're going to talk about how do we do conflict well. Now, we can spend the whole rest of the summer doing this. Uh, the world offers us volume, vitriol, and violence. If I really want to do it well, I just throw shade at you, right? That, that's how the world kind of does stuff and makes it happen. Jesus, Jesus gives us a completely different way of doing this. And it's not just the nice, happy way. In fact, Jesus' way is probably harder because anything that you've experienced in your life that's good probably came through really hard stuff. And Jesus gives us a way, and his way is, is really significant in that he does something. He gives us a model, a mirror, and a move. And so I'm going to talk to you about that. So over the last few weeks, you're going to see, we talked about this last week. There was a way that, that, uh, that we had about doing relationships. You can put that diagram up on there where we talked about first in your head, don't judge. There's a pace in which people are learning. And you, if you want to really connect with people, if you want to help people, you can't be all judgy. And there's a way that you can meet them right where they're at because God meets you right where you are at. The second is we learned about heart communication and how we can connect with each other and really have that way of connecting. Today, we got the boxing gloves out. Uh, Jesus says, not only can you learn how to disagree without being disagreeable, which is sort of kind of base level, right? Uh, that, that you can learn anywhere. But he says, I have something for you. I want you to make peace out of nothing. You and I can be peacemakers, not peacekeepers, which is sort of a dubious and kind of ineffective thing that the UN does, right? Uh, you can be a peacemaker in the world around you. And that's what God has for you. 
And that's what God has for us. And I want to take some time to talk through that. Uh, I'm not sure what your last two or so years have been like, but I've had a lot of opportunity to practice this. And you probably have too. And, and some of it has not always been happy opportunities. And, and some of the, it's been interesting as you do stuff. I, I ran across a story that I thought was uh, very kind of indicative of some of the things that are going on. There's this family who were, let's, let's use the word dramatic. And, and mom was the drama queen. Okay, And so she and her sister and her sister's husband and the whole family were sitting around for lunch. They finally got to go for lunch after all this restrictions and everything. And so they go for lunch and the sisters, mom and the, and the aunt, get into it. And, and the aunt, you know, has this great thing going. She says, you've always been bad with money. You manage your money terribly. And she just starts and just ranting on her sister. Now, there's clearly a long history of this whole thing going on. So they talk, they're going back and forth, everything. Mom, the dramatic one, decides that she's going to make a statement. I kid you not, this is a true story. She goes out of the restaurant, across the parking lot, and lays down in the middle of the road. Seriously. And so the whole family, now they're kind of used to this because she's, did I mention she was a drama queen? She, she lays on so the uncle and the dad are out there directing traffic around her, right? And, and they're going to do this stuff and finally the aunt comes and she apologizes to her. So they get up, right? And they go up and they go up and all of a sudden they look around and they can't see their junior high kid. Where'd he go? And they're looking for him, looking for him. All of a sudden they see him hiding behind the garbage bins. They said, what are you doing here? He says, I didn't want to end up on YouTube. So your goal can be not to end up on YouTube or God's got something bigger and better for you that you can move into this world and you can be a peacemaker and God is something absolutely significant. See, what Jesus came into this world to do was, among other things, is to destroy false peace because we can live our lives with not rocking the boat, with not really getting to the issue of what's going on. But the way that you do that is the most important thing. And Jesus uh, was in the middle of this. And he, what he did, and I think for all of us this is important, he, defi- he redefined what failure is in your life and in my life. When you think of failure, what do you think of? Maybe financial, right? Maybe you'd say, my kids aren't walking with the Lord. Maybe my marriage didn't work. Maybe I'm estranged from someone. And we look at those things and we define failure and oftentimes we define ourselves by what happened to us. And as you look at Jesus' life, he defines failure completely differently. How he defines failure is actually the failure to love. It isn't about how the situation turned out. It isn't about whether you're perfect or not. He said, do you love? Now, I'm going to take you right to the end of Matthew 25, where Jesus is sort of making it all happen, and he gives the picture of the sheep and the goats, and the sheep are us, and he he says to them, you know, what did you do with your life? Did you feed? Did you clothe? Did you give? Did you love? And the people at the end, in the picture, are actually completely confused. Because they they haven't thought of success 
as being that, right? How do we think of success in our life? We don't think of those things if we're honest with ourselves, or rarely do we think of those things. They're good things, they're nice things, but at the very end of everything, God says, this is the picture, how did you love? And, and, and really the verse that sort of catches us is when you've done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. Jesus completely redefines failure by saying there is only one way that you can fail and it isn't on how things turn out. The only way that you can fail is by failing to love. And in our life, this is the goal that we're going toward. This is how you're moving in your life and this is how you become one of those people in this world who is a peacemaker And not someone who's just adding to all the volume and the victory all and the violence and sort of making the thing happen. But you got your opinion out. You got a way bigger call than that in your life. God's called us to make a difference in our world. How do we do that? There is, like I said, three M's that I want to give. And the first of the things is model. Is that Jesus wants, Jesus gives us a model of how we do relationship. And, and I came across this sign. You may not think this is funny. I grew up in Saskatchewan where the way, the only way that you survived high school was by fighting. Because this is what they did. And so you see the sign here. It says, Jesus, six o'clock parking lot. Is Jesus fighting people? <laughs> it's like my childhood. Oh, that was fantastic. <laughs> Um, the answer to that is, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more surprising than you think. I'm going to walk you through really quickly four interactions that Jesus had, and I want you to think about how he, he went about resolving conflict in his life, because conflict is inevitable. Amen? Yeah, you lived it, but how we do that and having a bigger goal, and here's the big picture that, that I think is so important, that Jesus wasn't selfless or selfish, but he just lived out of his true self. He, he wasn't like selfish, like, oh, I'm just going to make this about me, and well, you said that about me, so I'm going to respond, I'm going to react back, because that's generally what happens when we're in conflict. Somebody says something, and we, we, right away, we have that first human natural, ah, just the way it goes. And he wasn't selfless in the sense of saying that was his goal, well, I just don't want to make, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to just keep it low and not make it happen. What Jesus did and what his goal is for you and I to do is he wants us to live out of our true self. And our true self is this. God is love. When you learn to do this, you aren't managing your behavior. What you are doing is you're living out of who you really are. And that's when you become completely different than the world. You get to live out of your true self. So here, real quickly, uh, four things that Jesus did. First of all, Jesus uh, was his relationship with Judas. And Jesus and Judas, what Jesus did with Judas is he gave him an opportunity to rethink. Now, I want you to think about the scene where they're sitting around the table. They've had this whole time together, more than three years. The disciples have grown. They've done their deal. And Jesus is sitting down with them. He's been saying some really confusing things about his end and how it's going to go. And he's going to go die. And the disciples actually didn't get this at all, right? 
And then he goes and says, one of you is going to betray me. And then they have this, like, the most, you think your family gatherings are awkward? Like, he has the most awkward supper conversation ever. And he goes, and then they start going around saying, is it me? (laughs) Really? You don't know? (laughs) No, they didn't know. And everybody was so confused. And, And finally, Judas says, Judas, who's already met and knows, says, is it me? And Jesus looks at him and says, just go and do what you need to do. There are relationships that you have in your life where you are going to need to give people the opportunity to rethink. And it means you're going to have to have awkward conversations. But Jesus cared and loved Judas, right? He cared about Judas and he gave him a chance to rethink. Who is it in your life? Who's your Judas? No, don't think. It's probably unhelpful to think that way. But some of you kind of do. Who is it in your life that you need to give an opportunity for them to rethink? There was no malice in Jesus' question, was there? There was no accusation in Jesus' question. He just said, hey, you know what? There's probably some stuff we need to get on the table. And he had some time and he talked to Judas about that. He gave him time to refocus. Second one is Jesus and the Pharisees. And some of you are going, okay, this is my sweet spot. I'm going to go like turning over tables and like trashing people, right? This is, this is, this is right where I orbit here. Um, Jesus is in a relationship with some people who, and, and I think this is really important that we see this as the exception of what he does, but Jesus decides that there's some people who are doing some things that aren't just he doesn't like or bad, that these people are taking and putting on the people around them loads that Jesus was trying to take off of them. They were putting religion onto people and Jesus was trying to break those three. So there was this huge hypocrisy that's happening, but really more important than that, what the Pharisees were doing is they were putting this big load on people and Jesus wasn't so mad about the fact that they were trying to kill him, that, he, you know, that they were trying to trick him, that they were doing everything else. What he was thinking about is relationship of the people around them and making sure that the people around them had the ability to live before God the way they wanted to do. And he gave them a chance to, to, to repent that he, he, he gave them the ability to do it. And, and you know what? I'm going to say this super carefully because in our world, we cancel too quickly and we defriend too quickly. But there are some people who it's okay to put some distance between yourself and them, right? If those people are family, that's probably a short period of time. <laughs> so you go, good, I can finally get rid of him. No. Jesus said there are some times when putting up boundaries are the right thing to do. And he said, you know what, those guys, what they're doing is diabolical to the people. And I need to show them a different way. So that's the second thing. Third one is this, is that Jesus had a chance to connect and help Peter to re-engage. Peter was 
Jesus was betrayed by a lot of people. And uh, Peter was probably the one that was, was going to be most painful for Jesus because he's his clo- in his closest comrade group, right? Jesus was and Peter were as close as they could probably get. There was nobody on this earth that Jesus loved more, trusted more, connected with more than Peter, one of the three. Those were his closest guys. And Jesus says to Peter that you're going to deny me three times. What's he saying? There, you have relationships in your life where if you're going to be a peacemaker, you're going to have to be willing to survive the hurt and care about the relationship more than the hurt. And Jesus challenged Peter and said, hey, you know what? There's some things coming that are going to be hurtful to you. Jesus wasn't so worried about himself. He said, Peter, you know what? You've got a whole destiny in your life. He, he, he sees the whole thing happening. He says, you know what, Peter? You've got to take care of this thing or you are in trouble. Is Jesus picking a fight? No, he cares about relationships so deeply that he says, I'm willing to get into the messy part with you. And he made him breakfast and he called him back and he challenged him. And then he says, you know what, Peter, those words that you said upon this rock, I will build my church about that. You're going to be the main proclaimer of this thing. You have to care enough about people that you want them to succeed, that their destiny is so important to you that you're going to go into the messy part of relationships. For some of you right now, I want you to think of who those people are. Because there's some people who are close in your life whose God's put you right there with them. And those are the people that God wants you to love enough to have those kind of conversations with. The last one is of the, this really super quick survey we did is the enemy at the cross. And Jesus reimagined something for them, a bigger picture. The, the scene of Jesus dying on the cross for a Christian is that probably most poignant time, isn't it, folks? And, and I think it's really good for us to think about what Jesus went through when he was dying on the cross. I, I'd like you to put yourself in that situation. I, I'd like you to think about, because that sacrifice was for you and me. What he did was... He suffered this unimaginable peace. And part of it was the people around him jeering him and mocking him and putting on the crown of thorns and dragging him through the street. And and these people were absolutely loving every minute of it. This guy who had caused them so much grief, they were finally getting their vengeance back on this guy. And the people who were surrounding him, who were jeering at him, had loved the fact that this guy was going to die. And they were reveling in every drop of blood that he shed. Oh. All through the trial, all through the moments, Jesus shows us something that I think is probably one of the most important principles you're ever going to have in conflict resolution. Is Jesus did not engage with that level of activity. Jesus did not react 
to the people around him doing all the horrible, awful things in their life. He did nothing about it. I think that's the biggest challenge, isn't it? Somebody comes and they get in your face and they take the thing at you. They find the thing that is absolutely... People have a way of doing this. People can be evil. And they find your soft underbelly and they just grind it in. And Jesus said, nothing. And it wasn't because he afraid and it wasn't because he was intimidated and it wasn't because he was weak. It was completely different than that. He realized there was a bigger picture going on in this whole thing, and he didn't have to get into the muck. Can I tell you something? You don't have to do that. Because what happens in the muck? You get all dirty. And, And Paul says, you know what, to Timothy, don't get involved in foolish and stupid arguments. And that that's like one of my top pastoral commandments that I have. I've sometimes failed miserably because I like to argue. Anybody else? Thank you for being honest. Yes, the rest of you, learn to be more honest in church. Actually, not everybody likes to argue, but eh? yeah, take it on, right? And Jesus said, I actually don't need to enter into that if I am going to have, because there's a higher thing going on here. And then he says the words that you all know. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Did they know what they were doing? They knew they were killing them. Right? You see, when you have that bigger perspective on stuff, then even the things that should be personal, that should drive you crazy, that should tear it all apart, you can get a bigger view of. They were killing him. And Jesus said, you know what, Father? Forgive them. They don't actually know what they're doing. He didn't actually know that this was the son of God and this was his plan and this was the way it was going to happen. And Jesus modeled for us, this is the model, Jesus modeled for us a whole different way of doing relationships that when he died on the cross and that when he came to that place where you and I no longer have to have our value set by how we do in the world, by who loves us, by somebody's opinion of us, but we have our identity, our value set on the God who loves us and the God who says, I formed you, I made you, I put you together. You are incredibly special to me. You are my daughter. And so therefore, I don't have to worry about it anymore. And let me tell you how much I love you. I died for you. And suddenly, everything changes, doesn't it? Where the world is desperately looking for someone to validate them. The, the, the second part of my, my conversation with that counselor that I talked about is he said that most men's greatest fear is to be rejected by a woman. All the guys are like, that's not true, that's not true. Yes, it is. (laughs) I follow my wife around endlessly, hoping for her to give me affirmation. (laughs) Sort of. Well, yeah, that's true. If you live your life the way the world lives it, there's no chance of being a peacemaker. Volume, victory, all. All of those things. 
But Jesus says, I got a better way for you. Look at the cross. Look what I've done for you. Live out of that. You can be a peacemaker. There's a model that Jesus gave us that's kind of incredible that we can imagine and we can have together. You know, every, what Jesus did in this situation was he took everybody where they were at, didn't he? He didn't have a one-size-fits-all stuff. And, and this, is, this is the part of it, folks, where, you know what, we, we actually have to do this with the people around us. We can't just say, well, I am this kind of person, so therefore this is what I'm going to do for you. Everybody in your life needs, and the Holy Spirit's going to help you to say, what does that person need in this situation? And, and this is sort of a frivolous example, but I, I had a neighbor who, and, and I, I think neighboring is an art. If you are a Christian, being a neighbor is an art. You, you got to figure it out. You can make it happen because God's at work in that person's life and you're probably the only person who, who can connect in a way or you might be the only person who can connect in a way. So I was doing all this stuff and I was helping her put up her tarp garage when it blew down. I was taking care of this stuff and I kicked my kids out of the house when they were younger to shovel her driveway and do all this sort of stuff. And it was, you know, doing all this thing and everything. And then, you know, probably four years in, she says, you know what, Aubrey, you know what I really like about you? And I was checking off all the things that I had done for her. I like that you say hi to my dog. (laughs) Some of you are dog people, right? And this totally makes sense with you. It's a whole subculture that's like, I have a dog, but I'm not in that thing. And I thought, oh, okay. So if I want to love her, I love her dog. What about all the other? No, I won't do it. There's a uniqueness that God has for you to interact with the people, and you and the Holy Spirit have an opportunity to make a difference in the world around you. Second thing is this God gave you a model, Jesus gave you a model, but He also gave you a mirror. If you look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 20, I'm going to read through this, and this is one of the challenging passages of Jesus. And then we'll just unpack this mirror, what it is. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees were the most righteous people around, except they did everything on the outside that looked religious. They didn't take care of the inside. So Jesus is pointing us to do something. He says, hey, I want you to get something that's deeper than just doing, looking all religious and nice on the outside says, you've heard it said, in other words, in the Bible when it says, it is written, that's the law, when you use the phrase, you've heard it said, that's the application of it. So this is what the teachers would say, you've heard it said a long time ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Sorry. How many of you have committed murder today? Just by this first thing. Look at that. No, 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 no. (laughs) Always one in the crowd, right? Uh, pretty low bar, guys, isn't it? The, and, and the Pharisees were all excited about this, right? This is what my, the standard is. Don't commit murder. And Jesus comes along, and he's not just messing with them. He has something that he wants them to get, and he's something that he wants you and I to get if we're really going to make a difference in our world. He says that. He says, if you didn't murder, he says, but I tell you, and here it comes. 
I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister, brother or sister are your church friends. This is, these are Christians. Will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who, who says to his brother or sister, Raka, and I'll explain that, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in dangers of the fire of hell. Oh, no. This looks bad, right? Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, uh, that you remember that your brother or sister, people in church, has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go first, be reconciled to them, and come and offer your gift. So if we take a deeper dive into this, what Jesus is doing is he's putting up a mirror in front of us. And he said, you know what, it is so easy to go around the world and to look at other people and to say, ha, look at them. But what he does, this is my wife's mirror, you know those ones that makes things look really close? Oop, nose hair. Might as well check the ear hair while I'm at it. Getting old is interesting, eh? You just never know where stuff's going to grow out. And so he, he, he puts a mirror up in front of them and he says, Here, here's what I want you to know. If you say raka, which is in the original language, it, which is basically indifference. Because you see somebody who is in a situation and you're kind of apathetic to their situation that's going on. You're absolutely indifferent. It's neglect as if you don't care. He says, you know what? That's murder. Wow. And, and you know what? I got to be honest. I, I think when I think in my society as a Canadian, I can look at how things are for people who are either economically uh, or ethnically different than me, socially. Maybe some, some of the things that are happening in our world with our Aboriginal communities that don't have water and they don't have all those things. And, and some of you are going to, when I say those words, you're going to get caught up in a political agenda. And Jesus puts a mirror up and says, indifference is like murder. Lovelessness is like murder. Now, what Jesus didn't do is solve all the big problems of the world. Did you notice that? He didn't come and solve all the social problems. What he did was he picked one person and he treated them with dignity and respect. That's how he did this. He said, indifference, and he puts a mirror up to you. And he says, I want you to get this, because it's so easy to look at, oh, I don't murder anybody. Ah, I'm good. And then he says, what, well, what about that other one, where he says, if you are in that place where you call your brother a fool, I think the vernacular for now, actually comes out of the original, would be moron. If you call the person a moron, and, and really what you're trying to do is murder their reputation, or maybe even worse, murder their confidence that they have in, them, in themselves. And, and it's different than your guy friends who you call a moron. That's not what this is talking about, because they acted like a moron, so whatever, right? <laughs> That's just the way it works. This is, this is where you say something in a way that you want them to believe it, so it shakes their confidence. You want them to believe that they're stupid. Because you're angry and you've been hurt. Remember, volume, vitriol, violence. And you hope they believe it. And Jesus puts a mirror up to you 
And he says, I want you to see yourself. This is not the encouraging part of the message, but it's a good part. I had a friend of mine who went on a vacation and went to see family. Again, family, super interesting, right? And, and their brother, her brother, uh, at the beginning of their time together, said something like what she heard as you're stupid. What he said was probably your idea was stupid. So guess what she did for the next four days of her family vacation? Tried to prove that she wasn't stupid and kept this whole thing brewing in her heart because those words have power over people. I just said, I was just frustrated. But really what it is is Jesus saying, if you live your life that way, I want you to see, I see that as murder. There's no difference in that. And the last thing he says is if you're angry. And this isn't having a momentary flash of anger, but it's sort of that place that we can get into where we live in hate, and that spews out of us. And basically what he says is murder is resentment. What we are supposed to see from this passage, and it's kind of not super pretty, is this. All of us are guilty of that. Right? Yeah. We can look up here and feel really good of ourselves and look down on the other people. But Jesus said, I want you to get something that's so important. Unless you can understand that you are guilty of the same thing in different circumstances, in different ways, the way I see it, you will never have enough compassion on people to be a peacemaker. Because you will always see yourself as better than them. And I have news for you. You are no better. Thank you for that, amen. I appreciate that. It's hard, isn't it? Jesus puts the mirror up and he said, not only do I have a model, I also have a mirror for you. Because when you do this, you need to understand. I have a, I have a cousin who uh, committed double murder. And, and when you hear of a double murder, he uh, thought he, his wife was calling back, his estranged wife was calling back to reconcile with him. Uh, so he came home a day early, found her in bed with somebody else, snapped, and killed them both. Thought a lot about that. You know what? I'm no different than that guy. Different circumstances. I wasn't in that place. Right? This is what Jesus is saying. And you can say, well, I would never. I go, well, look at the things you do do. And in the middle of that, what he's trying to say is, if you are going to be able to help the people around you, you need to have compassion. And compassion actually comes out of humility. That's where you get that from. You have a mirror, and then you have the last thing is a move. He says, settle matters. When you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember there that your brother or sister, someone from your church is something against you, leave your gift there. First go and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift. It's interesting, in Matthew 18, it's the other way around. You have something against. Here it's they have something against you. The answer is, it doesn't matter who has something against it, right? It's your responsibility. And here's the move. Ready for it? Go! We can find a million excuses to do stuff. And he says, here's what I want you to do. In fact, you, I, I don't want you to pray. I want you to go. I don't want you to worship. I want you to go. Because the most important thing is 
relationship. And there's a wisdom that applies to that, but the principle that Jesus says is this. He says, I've given you a mirror so you can have compassion, and now there's a world around you that is looking for somebody to do something different. I've given you a model that sees people as individuals. Now go. I want to end today with a story that's a little lighter, because that was a bit heavy. There's a a friend of mine who's a pastor in another province, and uh, he's talking about relationships in the big picture. And he had an anniversary, and so he thought, he's a small church, really, really small church. He said, hey, wouldn't it be cool in our anniversary, he tells his wife, if we went and bought everybody ice cream. It's not like here, where last week I didn't buy you that ice cream, just so you know. The church bought you that ice cream. And he said, let's do that. So they said, okay, that's great. So they went, and he was on his way to go, uh, to go meet the people, because he was going to go meet them after he just missed his service. And somebody wanted to talk to them, and he had this really, really significant problem. And he said, ah, okay. So he prayed with this guy, and they walked through this stuff. And then he's going to quickly go run over to the ice cream shop, and then he realizes he lost his wallet. And he's looking all over for his wallet. Half an hour he looked for his wallet. And he couldn't find it. And all of a sudden, finally, he found his wallet. And he comes running to the ice cream shop. And he sees this long line of people. He has no idea who they are. You know why? Somebody calls him over and says, Hey, somebody's buying us free ice cream. Come join. (laughs) The whole community was buying ice, getting ice cream on him. (laughs) I'm a guy. I think this is hilariously funny. And so he's standing in line thinking... I am paying for all these people's ice cream. And I asked them to like, put little ones, like, like small or medium. That guy's ordering a banana split. Like That guy over there is like a peanut butter party. And he's just going through this stuff. And he's talking to this guy. He says, boy, this, this guy says, boy, this is really cool, eh? Somebody bought us free ice cream. Turns out this guy's a gang member. And he sits and he has this amazing conversation with this guy who's a gang member. And after it's all done... He finally cuts in somewhere and says, hey, actually, these people, I don't know them at all. I'm going to pay the bill, <laughs> right? It, it came to probably the amount that he thought it was going to come to. And a little whisper came into his ear and says, what's the most important thing? Relationships. God's got you. You don't have to look out for your own life. He looks out for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to take just a moment. If you are listening online, uh, this is for you as well. If you have never made that decision to follow Christ, or maybe you have and you've slipped away, I'd like in the building or those of you online to just take an opportunity with nobody looking around, press that button. Or those of you in the building, if you need to do that, just raise your hand up and I'll acknowledge it and you can put it down. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else that want to join? Okay. We're going to pray a prayer together. And uh, as you pray this prayer, I want you to remember that isn't it amazing that Jesus came and died and made peace with you? He says, when we were his enemies, when we were pushing him away, He came and said, I love you. It doesn't actually matter what you do. I love you. That's the gift that you have to give away. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his model. I thank you that he loves me enough 
to put up a mirror. I thank you for the way that you will always be there. I give you leadership in my life. I choose today to be a peacemaker. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.